You're listening to Kiss My Aesthetic, your go-to podcast for bragworthy branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co. Let's dive into the episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. You know her, you love her. Amber's back. She's back, baby. Welcome. Woohoo! I think round four. I think we're on round four. Something like that. <laughs> it's crazy. I've kept my eye on what you've been posting on social media and you made a huge announcement recently. And I said, will you please come on the podcast and talk about this? So that's really what I want to get into today. But for anyone who doesn't know you, can you tell us who you are, what you do and who you help? Yes, absolutely. So as mentioned, I am on the podcast round maybe four. My name is Amber Figlow and I am a content strategist, creator, educator, speaker, all the things. And I actually focus on helping small business owners with their content strategy in the forms of like workflows and systems. I tell people I am the type A for your type B. If you're into that thing, I'm a Virgo, like ENTJ. I am a generator, like all the things. I am absolutely crazy. So (laughs) I love the organization and the process. Good crazy. Yeah. The crazy that everybody needs in their business. So yeah, I kind of do all of those things. Yes. And you have kind of taken a few different eras, if we're going to be Taylor Swift about it, in your approach to business, right? Can you kind of walk us through for someone who maybe hasn't listened to the other four episodes, three episodes yet? Chart your path from kind of your day one to now. Yeah, so absolutely. Just to give background here, we'll take it way back. (laughs) I actually started college right after the big recession. So it's like I started as a medical major, did the whole thing, ended up switching to marketing. So like I took that traditional route of joining corporate right after college as like a fresh 21-year-old. So I worked on like a corporate marketing team of 50 people. We were revenue generating, blah, 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 real boring. So what that ended up doing is like, I always had side hustles. I was always freelancing. I was doing photography for a little bit. And I was like, I need to be more creative. I need to leave this nine to five corporate world. So I branched out as a marketing manager for a smaller clothing company and eventually found my way into freelancing. And this was back in like 2017. So I've been doing this now. I've been off on my own now for five years for the most part. And that's actually when I decided, I was like, you know what, this freelancing thing, I really like working for myself. So I started A Creative Co. I believe at that time, it was like beginning of 2019 that I actually started A Creative Co. And it started off as like that one-stop marketing shop. And I was like, I can create content for people. I can do social media. I can write blogs. I had so much experience that I was just like, I'll do it all. That wound up me being like very, very burnt out and eventually specialized into owning a social media agency that was more of the boutique style, charged a little bit more, but I was very involved in my client's content creation process. So I found my love there. Eventually was, you know, I was growing the agency super huge and I hated it. This was prime pandemic. And I was like, what am I doing? I have employees. I'm paying people. I'm managing all these clients and I'm like, this ain't it. So I ended up making the switch out of agency life and more into this personal brand. And I was like, I want to help people more so through my content, through my free content, and then eventually have them make a purchase from me in a digital product or, you know, a workshop or something like that. So that's kind of the journey there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, it's a big shift. You also did something that I did recently, which is started to separate yourself from your business on social. I see people doing this more and more and more and more because I think, again, to kind of backtrack the trajectory of social media and the 
kind of content you were encouraged to post on your business page. I think a lot of us fell into the trap of like, if I have to put this much effort into my business page, I'm going to forego my personal shit because like only one can prevail. And now I think the pendulum has finally swung back and it's so refreshing to just be able to like shit post or post pictures with my friends and not think so deeply about having a public personal profile because the business now as my agency has grown represents more than just me, but also needs to represent all of our work. You're nodding your head. It's a podcast, but I think people are going to understand that you are on the same page as I am. Tell me kind of your thought process through that. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been so hesitant about this for so long because I come from that traditional marketing background of be professional, be professional, be professional, whatever that means to you. And I was like, you can't bring your personal life into this, Amber, leave it out. You can't show your personality too much. And now I'm like, I don't really care. (laughs) I was like, you know, people resonate more with a person than they do a product. And that is my whole foundation behind making this shift into more of a personal brand. I'm like, people book me for me, not this big company name. So that's kind of the big shift we're seeing with almost every business right now. People are injecting more of themselves, which actually makes me so happy. (laughs) Yeah, it's injecting themselves, like leaning into their personality and what they care about. But I think it's also, we've also gotten back to just lead with what you know, lead with what you're able to deliver on. And I think you do that so well. You underwent a rebrand recently. Tell us about what it's like to rebrand yourself. Yes, it is probably the most rigorous, most exciting project I've ever done. And if you know me, I have ADHD, so I was... I wanted all the things right now. And I was like, oh my God, I have to deal with this project for three to six months. Holy crap, Like that's a long time. And I'm like, I just wanted it to happen. So it was one of those things. I have been thinking about it for over a year, literally getting rid of my company, A Creative Co. I got rid of the name and I'm going with just my name, Amber Figlow. And it was a very big decision, but it was the most freeing thing I think I've ever done because I'm like, oh, I'm not locked into this weird corporate entity anymore. I can just be myself. And it felt so good. And of course, what comes along with that new logo, new colors, new photos, new this, lots of new, lots of money, lots of time and energy. But what I felt that big shift, I was like, I can show up and be who I really am on social media. And that in and of itself was so freeing. We're only like a month or two in. And I'm like, I've already started to see huge things in my business start to shift just because of that one small transition. And it's been so fun. Okay, tell us about the huge things then. Spill the beans. Absolutely. I don't know about you guys, but one of the biggest things for me is I was so inspired to create new products. Now that I have this, I'm like, oh, I can do this and I can do that. And I'm having so much fun with my offer suite. There's not a lot out there right now, but I have big plans for 2024. I get to play more. And I was like, I can do things however I want. I tested out the idea. I ended up hating it. But I was like, let me do a paid newsletter. I ended up shutting that down. But I'm enjoying the process of creating new offerings. And I'm like, I haven't had that much fun creating new things in a very, very long time. And I was like, you know what? This feels so good. So along with that, I've also booked some of my biggest brand partnerships ever. I booked Adobe and I'm currently working on one with Fiverr. This is as of December 6th, 2000, whatever year we're in, 23. I was like, I don't even know what year it is anymore. But I'm doing bigger brand partnerships, booking more speaking events. And I'm like, okay, this is what I needed. Yeah. Walk us through that offer suite because like you said, it's shifted. It's kind of your personal playground. But I consider you as like a creative, but also an educator in a lot of ways. I'm curious what your percentage split of your effort. It's like I'm spending this much time educating versus this much time creating versus this much time consulting. 
What does that actually look like in this new chapter? Yeah, absolutely. So it was one of the things, I think the hardest shift I had to make, for those of you that aren't aware, I'm also content director for your social team. So that is my only client work anymore. I got rid of all of my other client work. I got rid of one-on-one coaching. So there is not really an opportunity to work with me one-on-one anymore. And that's been the hardest part because I want to work with everybody one-on-one. I do miss that component, but it's also been so freeing for my mental health is just to have one solid client. And I absolutely love what I'm doing there. So that is where a lot of my weekly energy is spent. But then on top of that, what my offer suite now looks like is I'm diving harder into my free content, my freebies. So I'm going to have a free, it's kind of already out there, but a free Airtable content planner, something that I used to have as a paid product. Then I'm moving into, I recently did a paid workshop, the content curriculum. That's going to become a low ticket product where it's more of a course style. Then moving into, I'm really going to dive into a course that I currently have called the content system. It's going to become a signature course and it's going to be so robust that I would also love to teach to other agencies, other marketers. So it's like they could maybe take the course or I could go consult on it. And then on top of that, speaking events, brand partnerships, that's kind of what my offer suite is starting to look like. Well, and you've grown and amassed enough of a following of people that are that whole spectrum of offerings. We just had this discussion with a client of ours that's launching a SaaS product. And I'm interested what you would recommend on this because it's a brain teaser in some ways, because I think the culture has shifted. Basically, this SaaS product is intended to be the brand adjectives that I got were like luxury, adventurous, creative, top tier, like they want to attract the top, top, top. It's specifically like wedding photographers, videographers to their platform. It's going to be a lifestyle community, education brand, networking. There's a million offerings, but it's for this select group. But then they wanted it to be inclusive also. So it's kind of inclusive. And I mean inclusive by obviously like racially inclusive, gender inclusive, belief inclusive, all of those things. But then inclusivity and luxury sometimes get pitted as opposite ends of a spectrum because luxury is inherently exclusive. Yes. Are you following my talking point here? Absolutely. So to your brand and the way you're positioning is, is you're like, hey, there's something for everyone. I'm going to have something for everybody. No matter where you're starting, there's going to be something you could take advantage of. And you've let go of that high ticket client, except for your one main client. You've let go of that high ticket client chasing that long acquisition timeline, big deliverables, fat budget, to go more towards, I'd rather serve 100 people at 40 bucks a pop than 40 people at $2,000 a pop. So I'm curious, was that an intentional positioning shift? And what have you had to then sacrifice in your branding or positioning or the way that you talk about your business to then attract a larger spectrum of people? Yeah, that's such a good point. And what it ultimately came down to, and this is going to sound a little woo-woo, but I don't care. I was like, my mental health couldn't take it anymore. And it's just plain and simple. It was one of those things that I had to really sit down and I was like, what do I want? What do I want to produce? And I knew that I could no longer be on the phone from nine to five with clients, with discovery calls, with this, that. It did not suit the way I wanted to work. So I was like, okay, I can't work with everybody one-on-one for this reason or that reason, whatever that looks like. So for me, it was more so a shift that started internally. And then I was like, okay, but this also, again, allows me to include a lot of people. I give away, and you and I talked about this last time, is I give away anything that you've purchased in my course, I've put out as free content somewhere. It's just the reason why you've purchased a product from me is because it's all collected and bundled and you can get through it in an hour or two. 
But the thing is, is I give away all my information for free. So you guys can find it again at any level that you're at. And then the reason why you pay me is to save time. Or again, the bigger ticket items in my business are reserved for those larger companies that have a bigger budget. And that's nothing against small business owners. But I'm like, you guys, in order to give this free value, give this free content or a low ticket product, I got to get the big boys involved, the little big people involved. And I'm like, they are the ones who pay my bills so that I can deliver this stuff to you guys. And I know that sounds a little weird, but yep. I say this every stinking day. I say this every day when I'm on TikTok Live. I said, if you're enjoying watching and learning from this content for free and you've learned anything from me, just share it. It's free. There's a little button because when you share it, it gets me more visibility. More visibility gets me more clients. More clients allow me to continue to produce content for you person who's just a designer that's really never going to purchase anything from me, to be honest. They're there to learn for free. And maybe they find their way to the podcast and maybe they find their way in the Facebook group. But it is that spectrum. But you're right, because that exclusive luxury price point also requires exclusive luxury hands-on hand-holding service. And that can be a drain. I feel that completely. Yep. So That's kind of what shifted in my positioning. So accepting, I'm being very exclusive with my brand partnerships. I don't do the UGC content. We'll throw out numbers here. I really don't do brand partnerships for less than three to five grand now. It's just like not worth my time. And again, I'm totally transparent with my numbers. And I'm doing maybe one every month or two. And just again, being very exclusive with those things so that I can be inclusive in my free products, free offerings, and my low ticket offerings. And that's just how I'm able to help more people. Yeah. And it just depends on what your mission is. So my retort back to the client, they had explained, they're like, well, we're just trying to get as many signups as possible. And I said, well, it's a little bit antithetical to your goal, because if you're wanting to say like, we are the cream of the crop, we are the top, we are vetted, you by nature can't be for everyone. And I think that the being for everyone thing is kind of like, has kind of a dirty sound in your mouth almost because we're so trained also, and for good reason. Brands should be more inclusive. We should see more representation. That's not the kind of inclusivity I'm talking about. I'm just talking about your ideal client cannot be, quote, everyone. No, it physically can't because there's no way that the person's going to walk away from your product or service with anything if they're not, if you're not helping to solve a problem ultimately. What do you think about that? And how do you feel like the nature of social media has like evolved or changed even since the last time we talked about how people are presenting their brands online? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a really good anecdote for this that I think might tap into exactly what you're saying is for a while, like even you and I have discussed this before, I was the Canva queen for a while and I was giving Canva tips, tricks and hacks. Totally. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with this. Everybody starts somewhere. But I was teaching newbies, like brand new to the internet, brand new to designing Canva. Oh, it's great for Canva. Correct. You're their ultimate salesperson. Yep. It was great. But again, it kind of really almost pigeonholed me and my content to that small business owner that is just learning how to market their business. And now I have removed that as a content pillar. It is no longer in my content strategy. And I am, yes, my free content is meant for a wide variety of people, but it is not meant for that brand new business owner. I tell people all the time is it's like, you need to go and try things first on social media before you come to me, before you start to devour my content. You need that. I'm not going to show you how to change the background of your Instagram story. Those are the tutorials that I used to do all the time. I'm not doing that anymore. So while I can be inclusive of those business owners in that maybe year two to year seven, 
I'm not going to talk to the newbie anymore. And I'm not talking to the super seasoned business owner that has a whole marketing team. So I have my sweet spot of people. And while it's a wide range of people, you know, the people that are paying the big bucks for, again, my brand partnerships, things like that, consultations and like speaking events, they have the bigger budgets. They are not the ones that my free content is for, but that free content is for this good width of people, I would say. So that's kind of the way that I approach it. Yeah. So how to do something for me is always kind of low-hanging fruit is not the right term, but essentially it's like a 101 class, whereas the why you do something is a 301. Yep, absolutely. So it's the difference between generalized knowledge and specialized knowledge. And if you're a professor teaching 301 classes, don't come to me and try to understand like basic vocab glossary stuff because that's going to be widely available, very base level, very beginner. It's getting into the why we're doing it. Why are we trying to customize the background color of your Instagram story so that you can retain on brand so that you get color recognition and people start to associate this color palette with your brand and they know when they see that color, they're going to get quality information. Like there's a whole ethos here. It's not just about changing the color. Absolutely. (laughs) There's a reason. And so if you're coming for just how do I do what you do, it's very different than Amber, why do you do it that way? Amber, why are you doing it that way? I think that maybe is the distinction, right? Yes, absolutely. And it goes down, like you mentioned there, even with the Instagram story example, it goes into, oh, I want to repurpose my reels onto TikTok or vice versa or whatever. I'm like, I can show you how to do that. I can give you the software, whatever. But I want to talk to you about why it isn't probably working for you and how we can change it and how we can reframe it. And here's some numbers to support it. I've been doing this for a couple of years now and blah, 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 all these things. And so, yes, I want to get deeper and help people understand why. But again, it is still information that is going to help a wide range of people. Sure. That's all making plenty of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Definitely. It's been really fun to kind of chart your evolution and like watch you go through all these kind of different iterations. I also know that you're a queen of like, not putting all your eggs in one social media basket, which is one of the things that I talked about in like the most common marketing mistakes that I see brands make is they go to Instagram and they're like, I'm going to 10x my revenue with Instagram alone. And I'm like, no, yikes. So talk to me about diversifying your presence across platforms. You just made this perfect example. What might work on Reels may not work on TikTok and Shorts and all these other places. So what are your heavy hitters of platforms and what is your content strategy, loosely high level, for each one that you find is working. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you that don't follow me, I very much preach the concept of a hero content strategy. And the way that I like to talk about it is we've all seen that very famous presentation from Gary Vee where he's like, I create a thousand pieces of content a day and here's how I do it. And I'm like, okay, that's great. The concept in and of itself is great, but you start with a foundation of content. And for me, that's YouTube. For you, it might be a podcast. For somebody else, it might be a blog post. You Start with a long form piece of content and you break it down in as many ways as possible to show up in it as many places as possible. And that's going to look different for every business owner. But for me, what it looks like, I start with YouTube. And if I'm being completely honest, YouTube is my smallest audience and I don't care. That is totally fine with me. Oh, I love that. Yes. And I've been doing YouTube for two years consistently now, you know, breaks here and there just as I reframed the strategy and things. But I'm only at 4,000 subscribers. It's not very large. I'm not in it for the ad revenue. I am simply in it. I've done like one brand partnership there too. It is not a money-making thing for me. It is just a foundation of content for me that I know will live on long-term. I just posted a thread about this. I was like, I don't look at my YouTube analytics until six months down the road. I'm like, I don't expect that video to blow up until you know. I expect my audience to see it long-term. 
So one of the things there that I focus on is evergreen content, and which is so important. And what I mean by evergreen is like it lasts more than six months to a year. And I use that as the foundation for everything else. And it doesn't mean I'm just taking clips from YouTube and posting it everywhere. Yes, I'll take some clips from that video and post them as reels, sometimes post them as TikToks, but I'm ripping basically the transcript of it and creating threads and LinkedIn articles and captions for Instagram. It's the foundation for my carousels and my TikTok videos and all these things. So that's the approach that I take with that as well. And we can dive deeper if we want, but that's kind of the generalized approach. (laughs) I found myself explaining something similar to our podcast clients. I said, podcast isn't a new entity. It's just a new modality. You're doing the same thing you have been doing. You're just doing it in a different modality. So it's not so much that like, oh my gosh, I have to come up with all this original podcast. No, no, no. Just tell the long form version of the story you just told on your Instagram. Like explain the backstory behind this trip that you went on in more detail so that people have an opportunity to get the long form version, knowing that you're going to end up with the short form version on your socials anyway. But I think it does. It creates such an encyclopedia of your knowledge. For me, it's such an accountability part because if I didn't have this opportunity to talk to people on the podcast and be able to chart out my thoughts and chart out how I know what I know, like we talked about the why we do things, then it would be something that got left to the bottom of the to-do list. So it's the consistency of knowing, okay, we got to deliver. We got to do a solo episode. We've got a system now that when I'm talking, I've got a whole list of solo episodes I record immediately after because usually I'm fired up at the end of an interview. And I was like, oh, I could keep going, right? So after this, I'll record the next solo episode and I'll be able to chart out a topic that we maybe touched on here or inspired me something else. So there's ways to just, again, it, it almost is just like kind of creating brackets or a framework under around sharing an idea. That's your meta, your hero content, right? That's your big chunk. Okay, and then your process queen. I get so jealous sometimes. I'm like, gosh, dang it. That is just not how my brain works. And thank goodness I have my team where that is how their brain works. But once you've got this big old piece, where do you sit down? I know you just posted this this week on your story. So I want to give you the chance to share it again. But how does it get into all the places? Yeah, so great question. And in full transparency, I always like to lead with this is that I do have a content manager, part-time content manager. And I always tell people that because this process that I'm about to tell you, yes, you can do as a solo entrepreneur. Just know though, you might need to expand into having a VA or you might not be able to show up in all these places and that's okay. So work your way into it. But yeah, I create anywhere between like 20 and 30 pieces of content in a single week across platforms. And I know that sounds like a lot. It is, and it's a robust process. But essentially I take that YouTube video and my content manager helps me edit it. And little podcast exclusive is that YouTube video is also going to get ripped for a podcast. I will be having a podcast next year. Yes. Mm, I love to hear that. I was wondering when that was coming. Yes, it's coming in the new year. And again, I'm not going to have guests on the podcast just yet. It's just, again, another form of ways for people to consume my content because I know I have a lot of entrepreneurs that are busy and love podcasts. And like, I wish I could just listen to this YouTube video as a podcast. I'm like, bet I'll do that. (laughs) So that is coming in 2024. So then I take that entire YouTube video and I edit it in Descript. So the thing that I love about Descript is that you can edit the video like a Word document. So I have a full transcript now of everything that I have said. And the way that I like to approach this next process, I do love me some AI. I have been really getting into some AI tools for most of this year. I've been playing with ChatGPT. Then it was Claude having my own process, having my own prompts. And as of recently, I recommend if you haven't tried this yet, check it out. It's called Cast Magic. 
And it does a lot of the prompting that I've done in ChatGPT. It does it all at once. You upload the transcript. It helps you generate all these ideas, blah, 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 blah. There's a very custom process in there that we could talk about for hours. But essentially, I take that transcript and now it gets broken out into a full long carousel for Instagram that I can go and create in Canva. It can become three different TikTok videos. It can become, at this point, I'm creating about 15 different thread posts. So tweets, essentially, each and every week. And then it's like a LinkedIn article, a this, a that. And so we break it down. We strip different clips. I use them. You know, sometimes I rip the audio and put it on B-roll. There's so many different things, but we always test and play. And essentially, that's how we end up with like 20 to 30 pieces of content. Yeah, it comes together quite naturally once you actually commit to... And I think this is what I was so resistant with for so long. So basically, my social media, I was running 100% myself for a very, very, very long time. And I was creating Buku's amount of content because that's just me and it's how my brain works. And I loved it. And it was fun. And then you get busy and you've got client work, like I explained, like expanded my team. And so our volume output was much higher. So going backwards, when we kind of all put brains together, I actually hired my own team to work on my own brand, which was crazy. I love that. And I said, okay, guys, run with it. Go for it. I'm going to release the control here and let go of the reins. And they crushed and they've been able to deliver content that I would have never thought to produce that's getting 12, 13, 14% engagement on these carousels. It's like fucking wild. And so it's just been crazy. And I think as business owners, we have the tendency to get in our own way and get in our own head. And I think my biggest hang up was I didn't like sharing work that I thought was like, quote, old. My brain, I mentally checked out. Okay, we finished that project in April. I don't want to post about it now. But it's not. And my whole team was like, it's good stuff. It never even got its moment. And even if it did get its moment, there's probably still a chance that the people that follow you now never even saw it back in April. And I was like, okay, you're right. And so we created these like case study project carousels. Holy smokes, those are taken off like fire. So it's wild how much we neglect. I think people, like you said before, they get overwhelmed around the idea of creating so many pieces of content when really it's just about organizing it, what you do have and what you've done before in like a nice way that fills up your calendar real quick. Yeah. The one thing I always tell people, and I get so much hesitation and objection from people. I'm like, you don't need a new content idea. You need to go look at the 10 that you already have that you've posted on, expand on it. And what I tell people, they're like, oh, I'm worried that so-and-so might see it twice if I post about it here and then post about it there. I'm like, you guys, the way these algorithms work. No one's looking that closely. Yeah. I was like, and if they are, it's probably your mom. And we love mom, but mom's not going to care. So it's one of those things I tell people to. And mom's not going to buy your service or your product. Exactly. So it doesn't matter. I was like, I guarantee you, there have been so many times where somebody's like, oh my God, like I love this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's the seventh time I've posted about it. And they're just seeing it for the first time. And it's something that I'm consistently talking about day in and day out. But the whole framework with my content strategy too, the hero content strategy is that that YouTube video that I post once a week shows up as the framework for everything else I'm talking about that week. But it is along that message, that topic. So each week, no matter where you interact with my content, it is about that one thing. And you're getting the same message delivered to you again and again, just in different ways. And everybody's like, aren't you afraid of repeating yourself so much? I was like, no, Gary over here loves listening to podcasts and the way to work. But Lisa loves scrolling through carousels because she's got kids at home and she doesn't want to listen to something. You know, so it's just like tapping into the way people consume content. And they're just not going to see every piece that I post every single place. 
oh, it's impossible. It's impossible to see have someone see every single thing that you post in all the places. And that's, again, it's like this fallacy of I have to create new, new, new. It's like, no, no, you just have to iterate on what you have. And that's really what it comes down to. I think that people miss that big time. Yeah, all good stuff. How do you feel that social media is going to change in the next coming months into the new year? I always love asking your thoughts on this stuff. Yes. So I am going to say a very controversial opinion right now. I think video, we're seeing a plateau with short form video. Oh, people are getting really sick of and listen, these tactics work. Don't get me wrong. People are sick of the trending audios. People are sick of the seven second B-roll with text on screen that moves too fast. There was recently a study that said that vast majority of people that are watching videos on TikTok, they're over 60 seconds now. And so people are really diving into my YouTube content. But the thing you've mentioned it, the thing that is popping off so hard for me right now is like carousels. I do carousels on LinkedIn. I do carousels on Instagram. I think what we're starting to see is a shift back towards written and visual content instead of such of a heavy focus on video. This does not mean stop creating video, guys. Still create your short form videos. They are still important. They still help you sell, blah, blah, blah. But I think we are starting to see that shift back. And we see the shift every couple of years, if we're being honest. And I think we're seeing the shift back into written content for sure. I think the reason why carousels are so attractive is because it gives you a reprieve from all the video. Like it gives you a break to be able to read it and try to digest it and go at your own pace. You don't feel like you're being bombarded or that you have to rewatch. I don't feel like you're being yelled at. Yeah. Or I go on my Instagram Reels feed and it's this, everyone's making the same stuff. It's like the video with the question with like the answer, 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 answer pop on so fast. And I'm like, I know that this is a hack tactic. I know already that I'm supposed to watch this 14 times to know what the heck you're saying that now I'm completely disinterested in what this piece of content is because you've made it difficult for me to get the information on purpose because you're going to hack an algorithm. I would be so happy to see those go away. And they are starting to, or the same thing. And believe me, you guys, I've done these tactics because they did work for so long or the read the caption, you'll put a great hook and it says, read the caption for more. You are starting to build a sense of distrust with your audience by not giving them. You can say, explain more in the caption, but at least provide them with an answer, provide them with value in the reel if you're going to do something like that. But yeah, so I think we're starting to see a shift away from those video tactics, I like to call them. And then one point, about carousels too, that a lot of people don't understand. It is the only form of content that has the possibility of showing up in your followers feed twice. And so a lot of people don't know this. So for those of you that don't know, it is shown to your followers first with the first slide. If they don't interact with it, if they don't engage with it, there's potential for the second slide to pop up in their feed later on. So that's why the design of the first and second slide is so important. But it is the only form of content that gets shown more than once potentially to your audience, which is, I think, another reason why carousels perform so well. I think you're totally right. And I think there's something about them that makes them like so savable and so consumable in the shareable portion. Like I had this conversation with Madison, my junior designer, because we had created a carousel and the second page of the carousel was like the first of eight tips. And I was like, I kind of need the second one to be just as strong as the first one, because for that reason, right? it has the opportunity to show up again. And I wanted the second page of the carousel to be the most shareable, the most easy to distribute. What I always like to tell people when I'm giving them advice for carousels, like the first slide, big, bold hook, big, bold letters, whatever that looks like. The second slide, make it a relatable moment that your audience will love. Whether you're like, hey, if you're feeling like X, Y, Z, or it's a quote you said or something like, make it relatable, make it shareable. 
and then get into the bulk of your carousel. But no matter what, those first two slides need to be dedicated to like a hook and then like a sub hook is what I almost call it. And then you can get into the content and always end with a call to action. That last slide needs to be a share to your story, save this post, go here, blah, blah, blah. Because sometimes when you get to the end of that carousel and it's so abrupt and you stop, you're like, okay, now what do I do? Do I comment? Do I save this? What do I do? Give people something to do. People need an action to take. So that's kind of the way I structure mine. Oh, I love that idea. I want to circle back to what you talked about before. You're working with your social team as their content director. I would love to know what that role encapsulates, how that came about, and what you've learned since working with them, because they're really gold star standard of content recycling, upcycling, creative, really an industry leader. Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of came about, I've been working, her name is Manu, who owns the company. And it was one of those things that I was in this season of transition. And so was she. She was looking to expand her business in a different way, not necessarily like grow revenue, grow that. She was like, I want to expand my business because I want to take more time off kind of thing. I need somebody as my right-hand person that can do what I do to a different degree. And so it was just like, it naturally just kind of fell into a great partnership because her and I, we had been working. I had done some white label work for her. I'd done some subcontracting with her over the last couple of years. And it just felt like a seamless integration of like, hey, we're going to expand this into you being the content director now. And what that looks like is at first I came in and organized everything. (laughs) I got a system in place, things like that. And basically I kind of run with the, she has a sub brand called Your Template Club. And I basically run all the social channels for that. I run all the content strategy for that. And then I step in where needed for the main brand, your social team, because she's the one who still loves to create a lot of that content. But I look at it overall. I work with her business manager, work with her husband a lot because they do like the ads. So I help with the ad creatives and see how that's funneling these leads and pumping these ads with more money and blah, 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 you know, all kinds of different stuff. But I'm looking at the overall health of content being produced, whether I step in to help create it, we subcontract it out, all these good things. I just look at the overall health, the overall system. And it's been so fun because I get to kind of exercise my former social media manager brain. But I also get to step it up by looking at the analytics and saying, this is working. This isn't like we gave up on Lemonade a long time ago, but we gave it a good try. And it's like, it's been fun to experiment with that and test out new things. So that's kind of my role is just, I'm kind of the doctor of the content. I manage the health of it, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. Have you learned things working with your social team that you've then implemented in your own business? Because I've done this probably 14 times this year. (laughs) Like I've helped a client with something. I'm like, why am I not doing this for myself again? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the biggest things is the way that she approaches selling online is something that I was never really good at. And I'm like, I don't know how to integrate certain things. So just working with her and seeing how she promotes things in her business, she's consistently selling something every single day. But then the way she plans launches and campaigns and like being an integral part of that process, I'm like, okay, I need to learn a thing or two here. I'm not talking about my products and my offers enough. And I'm still not great at it. I still have a lot of work to do, but learning how to sell more effectively on social media is a big thing. And one thing she preaches, I'm not giving away insider secrets here, using ManyChat. Have you tried ManyChat yet on Instagram? I have had a few people kind of walk me through it. And I'm like, all right, I get the appeal. I get it. Yes. So for those of you who don't know, ManyChat is like a DM automation. And it is an approved partner with Instagram. But basically, people, I've seen it work so well for her business. I used it in my last launch that it's basically like comment some keyword and I'll send you the link to whatever product, whatever freebie. 
the engagement alone that you get because people are commenting is absolutely unheard of. And then you're also able to directly sell to people. And there's been a lot of talk in the industry about like, is this ethical, whatever. So I always lead with a, hey, no purchase required. Like I put it in the little automation, like no purchase required, but here's the information. If you have more questions, feel free to have a conversation with me. And then I will, me, myself, I don't use the automations for this. I will actually have a conversation with that person to help them decide if it's the right product for them. But just using that integration alone, I sold more of my workshop than I ever thought was possible. I was like, okay, I see how this works now. Amber, every time I talk to you, I'm like, okay, I got to go do my homework now. I know. No, I see the value. Absolutely. Because I think it's cutting through the noise. I think that's where everyone's biggest complaint is with marketing. And I even had people reach out like, hey, would you just do like an Instagram audit here, there, whatever. And I said, you know what? I'm talking to you on the phone right now. I can already identify nine different things that you could be doing differently. And I think when we are what either of us, we forget how much we actually know. Yes, we do know a lot. It's wild, especially when I do audits and stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's this, 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 this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And kind of opening up their eyes to the different ideas and like how that all really does come back to branding, right? And like even your interaction with someone in a DM after an automated link, like the fact that you're handling that yourself, it's telling them something about your brand. It's you're not giving them a chat bot. You're not giving them an automated response, but you're taking the time to understand their needs and probably also tell them when they're not a good fit. Oh, I do it all the time. Yep. Like, hey, this is going to be blowing you out of the water or this is going to be too simplistic for you. You really need X, Y, Z. And that's, I think, the level of service. Again, we're talking about luxury or exclusive level of service. Like it doesn't have to be expensive, but that's the kind of thing that you're creating brand sentiment. You're creating a feeling for someone that makes it feel like they can trust you, which is invaluable. Yes. But yes, do many chat, even if it's just for your freebies, you guys, like even if it's just like, you know, it's an easy way to get links to people instead of having to DM all these people, people aren't going to go to the link in your bio all the time. It's one of those things that it's just like, it's been so helpful in that arena, but always just lead with goodness. And like, you're not trying to be spammy. I never lead with you have to buy this, but I'm like, Hey, more questions. I was like, if you have more questions, hit me up. That is one thing I will never automate. I've tried to outsource it here and there's like community management, DM management. That is something I will never automate. I will never outsource ever again. I'm like, that is me. So if you're getting a DM, if you're getting a comment, that's truly me. And that's one thing I will always stand by that robots can replace us and we can use AI and we can use automations. But that is one thing I never want to give up in my business. Yeah, I think that's really smart. I think it's time will definitely tell on the AI integration of it all. And I think just in the same way that as soon as everyone discovered royalty-free stock photos and then all of a sudden their whole Instagrams are cups of coffee, there's only so far you can go with kind of taking, if it feels too good to be true, it probably is. So It is. Oh, yeah. So ChatGPT is going to write all your captions and all your content and all your copy and you're not giving it that meta piece of content that's coming out of your actual brain, then we're going to have an issue. That being said, it doesn't mean I don't use ChatGPT to help me write podcast outlines. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So, but the delivery and the anecdotes and the stories and the reasoning and the why, that's all coming from that real life lived experience. A hundred percent. And that's the way that I approach it with my YouTube videos. I don't sit here and like script all these things that ChatGPT gave me. I'm like, no, that is where I spend the bulk of my time is making sure that my YouTube videos are effective and what I'm saying in them are my words, my thoughts, my experiences, my stories, my anecdotes, so that then these AI tools can take what I said and regurgitate it in a different way. It's just putting a spin on it so that I don't have to always do it manually. But those are my thoughts and my words. It's not pulled from the internet. It's not pulled from somebody else. 
they're just re-spinning it. And that's the way that I like to approach that repurposing with AI too. And anytime you think about AI, the quality of the input determines the quality of the output. If you're just going to show up and expect it to do the work for you and expect you to do the magic, it's not going to work out. Just like if you're going to bake a cake with bad ingredients and your eggs are spoiled and your butter's gone bad and your flour is the cheapest one on the market and your chocolate chips were in the clearance bin at Target for too long, like it's not going to taste good. (laughs) If you want to have a high quality cake, you got to use the good ingredients, you know? Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. That's such a good analogy. Yeah. Well, you know, I love an analogy. That's like, that's my favorite thing. You always have the best ones. I love them. (laughs) I don't know how they come in my head. Mostly it's food related because I think everyone understands food. And so that's where most of it goes. But also I have a suggestion for you now that you've had a suggestion for me. Yes, let's do it. I listened to it as an audiobook. It's called $100 Million Leads. Ooh, I'm definitely going to add that to my list. Fabulous. He has a second book called $100 Million Sales, which I haven't downloaded yet. But $100 Million Leads is fabulous because it got me thinking about my content differently. So you talk about this like meta piece of content, right? And this guy talks about building and scaling multiple businesses, but he said, make it a habit to regularly write down far past, recent past, current, near future, far future. So I have a prompt for myself internally in Basecamp every week that asks me those questions so that I can delegate the content to my team and they're working with the meta piece of content that's coming from me. So there's no way I can expect my team to be able to pull out a story from when I was 12. Oh yeah, that's not gonna happen. (laughs) So unless I tell them that story and then they rework it into all the different platforms and all the different content pieces, there's no way that they're gonna know the conversation I had with the client last week. So I've been using that as a way to just kind of brain dump anecdotes, stories, lists, like things that could be content. And then I give it to them and I say, hey, no pressure, but like here's stuff that you could share this week. Like here's things that could be relevant to our client, could be relevant to, you know, future trend predictions, what we're currently working on. So that tip alone has been so helpful in the last two months because it's getting me in the practice of committing that stuff down so that the team can go and run with it. So the far past, recent past, current, near future, far future is one piece of content. And then the other thing that I've prompted myself to do every week is it needs to be a list, a story, or a fact. So come up with some list, come up with some story, and come up with some factor figure, a statistic that supports on the same theme. So similar to like what you're doing, right? So like you can take your long form YouTube content, come up with what did this mean five years ago? What did this mean two years ago? What does it mean now? What's it going to mean in a year? What's it going to mean in five years? And then also be able to say, here's a list, here's a story, and here's a fact that all support that larger idea. I have so many ideas just based off of what you said. I love that so much. That's so good. Oh, I love that. $100 million leads. I can't even take credit for that one. But it was a tip that I was like, all right, This was one of those books where I was listening to it on dog walks and at the airport and I'd have to like stop, pause, write it down. So it's going to be one of those books that I listen to probably every year because the information was so helpful. And they'll change. Yeah. And it's really, he's like, I'm not talking about making the sale. I'm just talking about getting the lead. This is just stuff to get the lead. Like this isn't even the sales structure. This is just about pulling people into your universe. And I think people neglect that a lot. Yes. Or they're like, they instantly go for a sale. They're like, we'll put up a 30% off promo graphic of whatever on Instagram. And then you're like, why didn't it work? I'm like, did you do anything to encourage people for that sale? Like, what are we doing here? You know, that kind of thing. So that's so smart. Right. What do you think about sales in general? Yeah. So for me, I am more of a value add kind of person. It is very rare that I will do a discount. 
the only time I do a discount is for a previous client. We've had this relationship, something, blah, blah, blah. But for me, I'm like, I'd rather give you something for free once you've paid full price kind of thing. Or it's like an early bird discount. Sometimes I'll do $100 off my course for the first 48 hours. That is pretty much the only time I'll do a discount just to kind of ramp up the sale, ramp up my launch and telling people I'm serious about you guys getting this kind of thing. But yeah, that is kind of the only time that I do it, but I'm much more of a value add kind of person. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. I'm all for like throwing in an extras once you've committed to what it is, because I think when you discount your services, you're telling your people that what the difference of the discount is, was not eating into your margin at all. Yes, I know. And it's like, and it's one of those things that if you decide to do a discount off, a percentage off, it can't be something like 50%. At least we're speaking from like small business owner perspective. We're not talking about Nordstrom here. (laughs) You know, we're talking about a small business owners. Right. The reason that you even see something 50, 60, 80% off from a retail store is because they're trying to move inventory there. It's now a loss leader. It's now more expensive for them to keep the stuff in the store than it is to cut it loose. So I think that people get confused by that. And that's something I'm sure we could create a whole new episode topic about is like sales, whether you should do them or not. <laughs> yes. It's like what I tell people too, is that it doesn't always have to be this big value add. It could be, let's say there's a freebie that you retired, bring it back, live some new life into it. And now that could potentially be like, Hey, you sign up for my course, you get this little guide, or it could be a specific module in the course that you expand upon. And maybe you offer them an audit um, based on that module, or you offer them whatever, give your time, give your knowledge, your experience, other resources, whatever that looks like. So that's kind of what I like to throw in. You know what I find that people love is they love like a recorded client call. Oh my God. Yeah. Like they love to watch a recorded client call because you learn so much from watching how someone else starts that. Like I've started now recording my discovery calls with clients. And then where my camera is off screen, you're not seeing them, you're not hearing their answers, but you're hearing me explain basically my sales call. And I posted one recently where she had asked like, oh, when you do the website. And I was like, the bad news is I don't do websites. The good news is I have a website partner. And people called that out. They're like, wow, that was really helpful to hear how you worded that. Because sometimes people are just like, oh, I don't do that. Yes. And the thing too is you're educating your audience on an objection that they might have if they should choose to work with you. So that's also another big thing with it. Yeah, definitely recording your calls and discovery calls. Like we record almost all of our calls with our clients as well, which is so helpful to have in retrospect because then you can go back and be like, well, actually you said on Tuesday that you were looking for XYZ thing (laughs) when we had your call. So that content, I feel like once we retire some of these projects, I want to go back and like start splicing up and cutting up that huge database because I'm sure I've said things that were useful that could be, like you said, serve the purpose for somebody else. So I think, again, with content, like it's not about making more. It's just making more out of what you already have. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Well, lovely. Easy. Do you have anything you want to disagree on? Should we fight? (laughs) I know. What could we fight about? Mm, I don't know, because I feel like we think the exact same way. (laughs) We're aligned. We're very aligned. We are, for sure. It's always a pleasure having you on. Please plug yourself where everyone can take advantage of these opportunities, get into your circles so people can find you. Go for it. Yeah. So if you guys want to find me on literally on every single platform, except for Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it now, I'm just Amber Figlow. So you guys can connect with me there. The best place to have an interaction with me, though, is going to be on Instagram DMs. That is where I live the most. If you DM me on LinkedIn, I'm not opening it. I'm so sorry. Love you guys, but not happening. (laughs) I was like, get so many of those DMs. But other than that, you guys can just 
I don't know when this podcast is airing, but in 2024, I will also have a podcast. I'm going to have a lot of new offerings, a lot of new freebies. So just make sure you guys head on over and just check out my socials. You'll get all the updates there. We love it. Thank you so much for your time. It was so great seeing you again. Yay. Yes, absolutely. I love being on the podcast. It's always my favorite. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Don't forget to follow along and leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll see you in the Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group for years and years of behind the scenes content and over 5,000 connections with fellow creatives. For show notes from today's episode, please visit mkwcreative.co slash podcast. This episode was edited by Berta Wired and theme music comes from Eliza Vera and Nathan Menard. Catch you next time.